the one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. God, I love baseball. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Man, this is baseball. You gotta stop thinking. I believe in the church of baseball. There's no crying in baseball! Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Andrew. And I'm Paul. This is Play Ball. Baseball at the movies. This is the show where we talk about every baseball movie. Every single one. And we watch them too. We we, we watch them first and then we talk <laughs> right. about them. Uh, the order is important. You know what else is important, Paul? Today <laughs> is an important day. Do you know why? Is it my birthday? It's not your birthday. Damn it. You should know your own birthday. I really should, yeah. No, no, no. Today is our doubleheader show. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a deep dive on two movies in dialogue with each other. Two of them. If Ernie Banks was here, he could say, let's watch two. Mm, it's a shame he's not here. You she should be here for every podcast. See what I did that? That see was pretty I, good. See what I did there? It's pretty good. Because it's movies. Oh, is that what, what happened? <laughs> Today we are talking about two movies that revolve around one player who you may have heard of, Jackie Robinson. Oh my gosh, one, I have heard of him. The one, <laughs> the one, the only, Jackie Robinson. We are going to be talking about 42 and the Jackie Robinson story from 1950. And not only that, Paul, but coming up later in the show, we have a very special guest who's joining us, Dr. Raymond Doswell from the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, to tell us all about Jackie Robinson. Finally, someone who actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. The Jackie Robinson story came out in 1950. The thing that's special about this movie, Paul, it stars Jackie Robinson <laughs> as himself. It's so crazy that that happened. I know. It's wild. <laughs> he did. He pulled a Space Jam, and uh, <laughs> it's like I can't imagine that happening with anyone else. Really, I, I agree. I, who else would it be more interesting to happen to? Also, I mean, what an amazing story! And he for, was still playing too. Yeah, like it's, this is smack dab in the middle of his career. Yeah, he had just won the MVP. <laughs> Should we listen to the trailer? Oh yeah, let's listen to the trailer. Let's do it. Starring Jackie Robinson as himself. Voted the most valuable baseball player in the National League. Minor Watson as Branch Rickey. Richard Lane as Clay Hopper of the Montreal Royals. Ruby Dee, star of Anna Lucasta. Louise Beavers as Jackie's mother. Billy Wayne as Clyde Sukeforth, scout of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now I'm playing against you in a World Series and I'm hot-headed. I want to win this game. So I go into you spikes first. You jab the ball in my ribs and the umpire says out. High flare. All I can see is your face, that black face right on top of me. So I haul off and punch you right in the cheek. What do you do? That's the Jackie Robinson story, a rich, compelling saga of the great American game and of a man who played it according to the rules and earned its most cherished reward. It's big league all the way in its roaring baseball thrills, its warm human drama, and its bold, inspiring courage. Wow, look at that. 1950s trailers. <laughs> Our favorite. Um, the movie did pretty well. It currently sits at about 63% Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes, but the uh, reception was better at the time. Critics really liked it at the time, and then I, I think the, the uh, response has sort of dimmed somewhat in the years since. But it also was a hit at the box office, which, again, for this story in 1950 is pretty amazing. All right, yeah. Now, 42 came out in 2013. It stars Chadwick Boseman as Jackie Robinson and Harrison Ford chewing up every mm. bit of scenery he can as Branch Rickey. My boy Branch. 
Uh, Paul's favorite person in all of baseball. Favorite ever. named person in all of existence. How about out of baseball? <clears throat> yeah, he is my favorite name out of baseball, probably. Branch. Branch. His name is Branch, Andrew. That's true. It's the weirdest name <laughs> <laughs> that anyone's ever had. And uh, he has solidified his place in history. That's right. As the only branch slash also he helped you know integrate baseball and all that. All that stuff. It also stars Andre Holland, who, hey, was in Sugar. That's right. Yeah. Crossover. Absolutely. We, uh, should, we should really make a list of all the actors who have appeared in that's true. all the crossovers. So yeah. Keep track of. We should make a team. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's a great idea. That'll be our board thing that we do in between yeah. seasons when we're done with this. So let's give a listen to the trailer for 42. The world's not so simple anymore. I guess it never was. We ignored it. Now we can't. Brooklyn, 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 we go hard. You Jackie Robinson? We go hard. I father, I Brooklyn dodge of him. So I'm like into this, and then when Harrison Ford starts speaking, I'm I'm sold. I'm there. I love it. Of course you are. It's a. It's actually a really good trailer. It is a good trailer. It's, it kind of makes me want to watch the movie. Well, good thing you did, buddy. Good thing you did. 42 did moderately well with critics. It says at about 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it was a hit. It made $95 million at the box office. People wanted to go see the Jackie Robinson story in 2013. Yeah. So they did. I did. And those are these did two movies. Did you see it in theaters? I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, but I... I saw it the year it came out, so I might have seen mm-hmm. it right when it came out on DVD, and I've seen it a couple times right. since then. I hadn't actually seen it since I saw it in theaters. Really? Yeah. This is my first time since. Well, we're definitely going to talk about how we feel about both of these two movies. Yeah. But first, let's walk through the plot. Let's walk through that plot. Both of these movies, for the most part, they kind of cover the same ground, which is some of Jackie Robinson's childhood and backstory, and then mostly... Uh, Branch Rickey bringing him into the major leagues, his his time in the minors, and then actually, quote unquote, be breaking the color barrier and becoming the first black player yeah. over his first season with the Dodgers. Right. That's for the most part. That's for what, the most part. Jackie what, Robinson's story definitely covers more of his earlier life than 42. Yeah. More so, of it anyway. So Jackie Robinson's story from 1950, we even see a little bit of his childhood, which yeah. we don't see as much in 42 and his upbringing and certainly his time at Pasadena junior college. Yep. Uh, he's playing football. He's in track. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see him go to the military. Yeah. We see, uh, his search for a job yeah. after college, which is very difficult. And then finally landing in, uh, baseball. Yeah. Uh, eventually. Whereas 42 kind of takes place right at the beginning of the movie is right when he's already been in the minor leagues. Right. Or not, sorry, the uh, the Negro Leagues. Right. We actually see a Negro League game, right. which I don't think we do in Jackie Robinson's story. We, we see, do, we see, yeah, we see him first in his first at bat. That's right. We see him and his teammates. He he is like mostly. a, yeah, but there's that scene in Jackie Robinson's story where um, the pitcher is like, has a conflict with. That's right. Yeah, we has see, a conflict, has a problem with the rookie. Right. And then, um, we see one at bat. Yeah, we see one at bat. Um, but we don't get we don't get as much of Jackie's career in the Negro Leagues. Not at all, no. In either of these movies. It's just a little bit of a hint. Uh, in 42, it's mostly kind of hinting at what kind of player he is, which is um, 
very active on the base paths. He was a great base runner and yeah. he's taking wide leads off of second and third. He's sort of dancing around and kind of getting in the pitcher's head, which is something that obviously comes back to Discombobulated later on. him. Yeah. That's a line. For oh, the that's right. Yeah. I remember that as I was saying, yeah. <laughs> uh, then both films kind of go through um, a section where they're sort of showing these greatest hits, I'll say, of, of this story. Um, we Both films portray... Branch Rickey saying we need to integrate baseball. I'm going to be the one to do it. They there's a search for the new pl- for the best player to do this. Jackie is chosen as the candidate, so he goes in and Branch Rickey says, um, "You, you got to be. You, you can't fight back." Right. Essentially. And Jackie at that point, I think the movie kind of had established that he did fight back normally. Right. Yeah. He. Um, I'm. I'm sure that we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. But. Um, uh, he was he was used to standing up for himself. Yes. Whenever he faced any kind of discrimination, I think in '42 it starts off pretty much with the scene uh, where they're going to a bathroom at. Like, they stop at a gas station. He wants to use the bathroom. Right. And uh, the guy says, "No, you can't use it." And he's like, "Well, we're leaving then." Yeah. He uh, he was not one to back down from a fight. Right. Um, so then both of these films have this scene where. Jackie's a little bit confused when Brent Rickey says, you can't fight back. That's the only way. That's the only way that this is going to be successful. And they both have a version of the scene where Jackie says, you want a player without the guts to fight back. And Brent Rickey says, I want a player with the guts not to fight back. I want a player with the guts not to fight back. That was great. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, that was actually, I just played on a soundboard. That was Harrison Ford's <laughs> voice. No, it wasn't. No, that it was wasn't. you. Pretty, I would say that's pretty much him. The whole movie. It's. I love it. <laughs> I love. I love Harrison Ford. It was. It was in interesting movie. to see him play like close to his age. We never <laughs> get to see him play like an old man. He's know? not Harrison Ford. He's no. He's trying to be Branch. He's a guy named Branch. When I got yeah, that's good. That's very good. That was me saying the lines. Oh right. <laughs> Do you understand that? Yeah, I'll put. Uh, I'll put a Branch Ricky filter on. <laughs> <laughs> so we then see. So Jackie agrees. He's first sent to the minor leagues. And when he gets there, he has to play under a racist manager, Clay Hopper. Right. For Montreal. Right. We see Jackie's career in the minors where he wins over Clay Hopper. That's sort of the point of this story, I guess, as Clay Hopper comes in. And in both films, they have him saying some racist insult right at the beginning. Right, right. It's different in each movie, but it definitely establishes his character. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of that first season in the minors, Clay Hopper is the one going to Branch Rickey saying, Jackie Robinson deserves to be promoted. He's a gentleman. He's the best competitor I've ever seen. His athleticism is unparalleled. That's sort of his character growth over this, this period in the, in the films. We also have Jackie being introduced to the white press, all the white press saying, hey, Jackie, mm-hmm. what are you going to do if these white pitchers throw at your head? And he says, I'll duck. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's an emblematic moment yep. for both of these movies. And then finally, he ascends to the major leagues and he is brought into onto the Dodgers. Um, this is where I think th- th- this part of the film is explored much more in 42, about I'd say the whole second half takes place in basically his first season. Oh yeah, in definitely. the majors, um, it's it's only the climax. It's only really the end of the Jackie Robinson story. But both films show um, some of the racist violence yeah. and vitriol and insults and uh, uh, horrifying vitriol that he has to uh, endure. Uh, endure. Yeah. yeah, while he's while he's here, I don't know which one is more horrific actually the they're both 
terrible. There's arguments for both. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I would, I would assume that 42 is probably, in a weird way, more accurately portrayed. Maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think with 42, they take a little bit more liberty to be uh, as explicit as yeah. it yes, must definitely. have been. Um, but in a way, the the racism that he faces in the Jackie Robinson story, um, even if it's not using some of that specific wording and sure, language, yeah. it's just as powerful. It's and, definitely bad. Yeah. Gut wrenching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he perseveres, you know, through it all in both films and, uh, both of them end up with him, uh, Jackie and the Dodgers winning the pennant after Jackie Robinson's mm-hmm. first season. Yeah. Uh, triumphant ending to the beginning of this experiment mm-hmm. of integration in baseball. Yeah. Both movies pretty similar, uh, plot wise. I think the biggest, thing is andre holland's character uh wendell smith right that's true uh so wendell smith is a black journalist a baseball reporter mm-hmm. who um i don't know if he's hired or if it's just kind of a partnership i think it's both yeah it's it's not explicitly but said. branch ricky basically brings wendell smith onto the scene and says just be with jackie you know chaperone him in between right uh, in between games and and hotels and especially when they're on the road which actually happened evidently yeah um, for sure. They were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wendell Smith is also in 42. He's this sort of character or this vehicle for us to understand or for mm-hmm. someone to say to Jackie, hey, this moment is bigger than just right, you. Right. There's there's a lot of people riding on you having success at this. Yeah. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> right. Totally. And that's I, – I, I looked in – I looked at a little bit of research. That's also based in truth where he was – very much on the side of integration. He was also black. Um, and Wendell Smith actually had a cool firsthand account to tell his firsthand uh, Jackie Robinson story. Yeah. He's literally roommates with the guy. There's a there's a very striking scene where Wendell Smith says, um, because we see Wendell Smith uh, in 42 attending every one of Jackie's games, and he's got his typewriter. Actually, the movie opens with him sort of summing up baseball. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we see him sitting along the third base lines with his typewriter up on his knees. And he finally says to Jackie, like, why do you think I do that? It's because right. there are no black reporters allowed in the press box. You know, this is big. Again, this is bigger than just you right. and baseball. This is very symbolic of progress and the future. And we have a lot of writing on this. Totally. So that's these movies. That's those basically movies. the plot of both of those. Yeah. Both films. So this is obviously a huge topic. Yeah. Um, and I think it's even both of these films. I mean, they're only exploring one part of Jackie Robinson's life. You know, neither yeah. of them go past his first season in the majors. I mean, you could talk about his entire baseball career. You could talk about uh, his entire life afterwards. Yep. That obviously we could spend like 10 hours that is correct. <laughs> on the podcast on. We're not going to do that. We want to hone in. So in order to do that. We're not really good at honing in in general, <laughs> but we're going to try. Let's get someone who can keep us on point. Right. What if we interviewed a baseball expert? What if we did that what if we already did that what if we already did that <laughs> wait a second i think we already did we definitely did yeah i am so excited about this paul and i went out and got a real baseball person that's right to come on the show not just us fools <laughs> <laughs> finally somebody who knows what they're talking about it's a pre-taped interview that we were so excited to do and to share with you now and he's awesome and yeah let's do it listen let's to it go to the videotape it's gonna happen right slash audio now tape. yeah it's definitely an audio there's also no tapes involved <laughs> the, the, nothing about what i just said is accurate except uh we got this we amazing got this cool guy, guy yeah. let's check it out
very special guest that we'd like to welcome on the show. He's the Vice President of Curatorial Services at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which he has been with since 1995, Dr. Raymond Doswell. Ray, welcome to the show. Welcome, Ray. Thank you. So we do um, we do something with every guest that comes on the show. We're we're honoring the uh, the three batter minimum uh, new rule installed for the league. So we've got a <laughs> three question minimum that we're gonna uh, throw your way to get you started. First off, favorite baseball team? Oh, uh, my favorite baseball team is the St. Louis Cardinals. Fantastic choice. Did uh, you grow up in St. Louis? Well, I, I I did. I grew up in the St. Louis area. Uh, went to East St. Louis Senior High School. That's a St. Louis thing. I always ask you what high school you go to. Oh, nice. Uh, second question up, Ray. Uh, favorite baseball movie? Well, I'm partial to the Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings, the only theatrical film about the Negro League. Fantastic. Yeah, we're actually going to... We we haven't watched it yet for this show, but next season it is on the list. We're very excited to watch that one. Make sure to have me back. Absolutely. Yeah, actually, yeah. T- totally. We're totally going to have you back. And uh, Ray, third question. What's your favorite baseball memory? Wow. So I have a lot of memories when you work here at the museum. Uh, you get to meet a lot of people. And, and I would say that um, in my youth, the Cardinals winning the 82 World Series was that favorite memory. But recently, uh, I had an opportunity uh, here at the museum to take a photo with uh, my favorite player, Lou Brock. Wow. Uh, Lou, Lou, as you know, is an all-time great Cardinal and uh Famous Cardinals Hall of Famer, National Baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, And through work at the museum, I've got to know him and his wife for a long time. But uh, he was at an event uh, here at the museum, and uh, he asked me to come over and take a photo with him. Wow. Get out of town. And I think Mr. Brock kind of knows my face. He sees me enough. He may not even remember my name, but he he thought enough of me and said, you know, you've never taken a photo with me. Come over here. And Uh, he took a photo. I was completely flustered. Uh, I would have immediately started crying. Uh, Well, (laughs) I I got a rule here at the museum, especially I like to tell the staff, you know, don't ask for autographs. Sure. Uh, treat treat our special guests like any other guest, and let's let's act like we've been there. If you know what I mean. Uh, totally. And, uh, but and I ask for very few autographs, or or get flustered when it comes to celebrity guests. And we have had some pretty important celebrity guests, from presidents to first ladies to movie stars and other politicians and things like that. But that really took me aback and, and uh, I was very honored to take a little snapshot on my phone with, with Lou Brock and uh, it was great. Amazing. That's Incredible. a beautiful story. I I gotta say I, I feel the same. You know you meet people of your industry, it's yeah, it's great and all that, but you meet a baseball person and you just you can't help but just love it. I mean that's beautiful. That's amazing. Are you excited about uh, Paul Goldschmidt? Oh, everyone's excited about Goldschmidt. Yeah. Um, the Cardinals the Cardinals way of doing things, uh uh, very methodical, it's true, uh, yeah. very careful, and um, looks like they got the right player. Uh, and um, I think uh, I've learned in my as I've gotten older to just have cautious optimism about every season. And Understandable, yeah. Low. <laughs> you know, as you get older, it's just you can only invest so much energy uh, into yeah. these things. But it's true. Uh, I look forward to baseball. I think now in our present times, baseball is very much a release for me. Uh, sure. Yeah. Escape from a lot of things, so um, I'm anxious for the start of the season. Me too. Yeah, I can't. Let's, let's start already, guys. Come on, <laughs> let's do it. Spring training's too long. Perfect. Well, Ray, thank you for sharing those, and thank you again for 
being on the show. Okay, so let's dive in. This is such a huge topic. We have so much to talk about. Um, but I think one thing that we definitely want to do with this is sort of um, explore and contextualize the history that we see in these two films. Um, so let's start with just kind of setting the stage for us, Ray, if you can. And, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of the state of the Negro Leagues immediately post-World War II, right before integration? Were they thriving? Were they struggling following the war? Um, who were some of the biggest stars, either future major league players or otherwise? Um, was this kind of the height of the Negro Leagues? Um, was it a low point? What's what's sort of the um, the state that we're in right before the discussion of integration? Let me first talk just a little bit about time near the end of the war first, and then get into that transition. Sure, yeah. There's important an important thing happening uh, during the war, uh, near the end of the war in the, in the uh, early forties. Uh, both the major leagues and the Negro leagues are depleted by the war effort. Um, both losing players to the draft, uh, but less so in the Negro Leagues. Well, some of the top players are still around, including legends such as Satchel Paige and although aging a little bit, Josh Gibson, and right. some young coming players as well. Um, so both leagues were depleted, less so in the Negro Leagues. And you could still see fairly top-level baseball by comparison in Negro leagues than you would if you went to a major league game. Mm. One of the examples of this uh, that is often cited by historians is in Washington, D.C. So, in Washington, it's important to keep in mind that across the country, often Negro League teams shared stadiums with major league and minor league baseball teams uh, through rental agreements or other agreements. And in Washington, uh, at Griffith Stadium, um, which was located in the heart of the black community in Washington, D.C., current site of Howard University Hospital right now. The Washington Senators played there usually during the week, and usually on the weekends, the Homestead Grays, who had moved from Pittsburgh, suburban Pittsburgh, to Washington to take advantage of the large black population there and started playing their home games in Washington, D.C., Now, uh, my understanding is that the Senators at that time maybe have been one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, whereas the Grays were in this stretch of close to nine straight Negro League pennants. So in spite of the war, uh, Washington did not have segregated seating, or or none of the games were segregated from the standpoint of fan attendance. So white fans could go on Sunday, for example, and watch the Grays dominate back on Tuesday and watch the Senators and wonder what they're watching. Wow. Uh, (laughs) I believe one of the the famous slogans for the Senators was for Washington, uh, first in war, first in peace, last in the American League East. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, the owners of the Senators see this. They they know these players. They have, you know, they have agreements, you know, with the Negro League owners to to play games. And it was a big ballpark. Um, White fans can see that these black players were playing well and wonder, well, they can help the senators. Um, why can't we have them? And it's just because of these arcane rules of segregation, which there never were any written rules that said that black players could not play with white players. Right. So fans begin to speak up. Uh, clearly, ownership certainly was noticing the quality of play, whether they were willing to move on it or not was another situation. But to say that this was the heyday of the Negro Leagues would be an overstatement. I think <laughs> they enjoyed much more success earlier, say, in the, in the 
mid to late 30s. Mm. Uh, the war, as I said, depleted the, the, the talent pool. But still in this period between 40 and 45, uh, you had some very interesting talent coming through. And one of those talents was Jackie Robinson, who uh, multi-sport athlete, um, Army veteran, um, and of course there was a whole movie about his experience in the Army, which you should save for another show. Um, <laughs> and uh, all the things that he was going through, and then and he's a, and he had an opportunity to play in the Negro Leagues primarily because of the war and the loss of players for the Kansas City Monarchs, which is the team. Oh, that interesting. Mm. That gave him an opportunity after he left the military. Um, then, of course, the rest is history. But other players that were also shining uh, during that period included Larry Doby, a very young, almost teenage Roy Campanella. Uh, uh, and again, I mentioned the older players like Page and Gibson were still around. Uh, Monty Irvin, who had uh, also had some military uh, time, uh, would, would come along. And then a few years after that, uh, Willie Mays uh, gets an opportunity in the late 40s. Uh, and as you move into the 50s, after integration, you still have a, a small trickle of good players like Ernie Banks among them, mm-hmm. and Eugene Baker, and others who uh, eventually would make it to the major leagues. Um, between 1947, when Robinson debuts with the Dodgers, and 1959, it takes that long before every white major league team has at least one African-American or Afro-Latino wow. player on their Did you say 1959? Yeah, 1959, wow. uh, with the Boston Red Sox being the last team to have a black player with Elisha Pumpsy Green mm-hmm. as uh, their candidate. And the irony of that is that as late, uh, excuse me, as early as the around 1939 and 1940, Red Sox could have been the first team because they actually had a uh, kind of a tryout, which wasn't very serious, but a tryout pushed by black newspaper reporters for the Red Sox. And it included a young player named Jackie Robinson, and they didn't sign him. Wow. What? That's, that feels like one of those moments that you just wonder how different history yeah. would have turned out if, you know. <laughs> if they had. <laughs> That's, That's true. Yeah. It could have been a whole decade earlier that wow. uh, it could have been the Boston Red Sox. Instead of them being the last ones. Exactly. And wow. they suffered for it for many years, some would mm-hmm. say. Uh, you can look at uh, writers like Howard Bryan, who's written about this, the fact that a uh, team like Boston uh, ultimately was very slow in recruiting black players even after Green. Although they had some very good players, and ultimately you get some great players like Jim Rice down the road. But uh, some would say that that is an additional curse. There's a curse of the Bambino, and then there's a curse of of, uh, of them being slow to integrate. Right. Uh, their and that was one of the things that may have held them back uh, in, uh, in developing some some consistent winners. Totally. Uh, to join people like Ted Williams and others. Right. Well, you, you kind of touched upon it about a, a little bit about uh, Jackie being kind of in the right place at the right time in terms of uh, because of his military service being able to come into the league at the right time. So I guess the question here would be, why Jackie Robinson? Was he kind of at the right place at the right time? I mean, obviously he was talented. We all know that. Um, but was it just kind of a kidsmit kind of thing that Jackie Robinson was the first one to break through? Well, our, our president, Bob Kendrick, here at the museum, often says that it was divine providence that this sure, all lined yeah. up the way it did. But uh, certainly, um, I think play, people like Ricky and maybe even Bill Vick at the time who uh, was trying to get ownership of teams, they all recognized 
the talent of black players. And I think even other ownership recognized the talent pool of black players that was available to them, but didn't want to pull the trigger on it. So Robinson, one, getting the opportunity to play with the Monarchs because of the war, I think is an important factor, uh, Hmm. which really did coincide with the fact that Ricky wanted to make the bold move of trying to tap into that pool right. of players. It helped that he had the military experience, although uh, he had some trouble in the military. It helped that he had played in integrated settings in college. Uh, the football and sport track? Athlete. Yeah, foot, football, track, and basketball. Uh-huh. Uh, and also a little tennis. I understand the only thing he couldn't do well was swim. He played tennis, Uh, really? Yeah, apparently he played some tennis as well and was pretty good at it, especially in high school. Um, uh, But he was, he and his brother was an Olympian, so he had just a tremendous athletic pedigree. um, And some would say that he was one of the greatest athletes of the last half century uh, in that that period. So so you had that uh, working for him, and he was someone who was also... uh, it's often cited uh, in the films and also in other other places that uh, he and Ricky shared uh, religious faith as well. Uh, and that was something that was very sustaining to Robinson. So there's no denying at least, uh, that influence from his mother and and, and, sure, and yeah. drove him in life. So so those things impressed Ricky and made him an ideal candidate. But Ricky was also looking very heavily at a player like Roy Campanella. Uh, at the time, and oh. I know Monty Irvin was also being strongly considered, and, and many historians have said that Monty Irvin was probably the ideal first candidate. Uh, but even Irvin recognized that, who had also had military experience, but had really bad experiences in the military with white officers and things like that, that he didn't feel that he was strong enough to do it. Plus, he also had some injuries that he wasn't sure that he was confident that he could do it. But I think a lot of those players, including Satchel Page, who people would have thought might have been the first because of his notoriety, um, would pay deference to, to Robinson as, as someone who they believe was the right man at the right time. As he uh, ex- exemplified the temperament that was needed to be successful, even though that right. was not his reputation. Uh, as far as temperament, uh, and that, uh, it, and obviously it worked out. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's even a scene in the um, the the recent one forty two where they're they're kind of tossing out names and they mention Satchel Page and he says uh, uh, Harrison Ford as Branch Rickey says, oh, we need a player with a future, not a past. Yeah. But of course, <laughs> you know, it's a funny nod to Satchel Page. Obviously, goes on to continue to have an amazing career for years after that. I guess the other half of this that I think we want to talk about, not just, you know, there, there's sort of two sides of this coin of one, obviously it took a very special man, a very special player in Jackie Robinson to have, you know, what it takes to, uh, to be the first. Um, the other half, I guess, is the, if you could talk a little bit about just sort of the forces that sort of made this moment happen um, in, in both movies, they sort of portray, I guess from the, on the owner's side and with branch Ricky and his, his team, the motivation integrated sort of a mix of three factors. It was money. So a black player would bring black fans to the ballpark talent and that the Negro leagues represented a kind of untapped talent pool that could help the Dodgers win. Which goes back to money. And, and, uh, and third in that it was just the right thing to do and taking a stand against 
racism. Is that an accurate sort of dynamic of this, this trifecta force motivating this, or are we kind of, you know, looking back with rose colored glasses a little bit? I don't want to deny any of those elements, although I think they they may individually been been given more credit than perhaps was also there. I'd add a fourth element, which was political pressures that were happening. Uh, it's my understanding, and especially in New York, that there was political movement, and this is a labor issue, uh, and there was movement uh, from the press, the black press, but also the very left press, specifically the communist press in New York, uh, as well as movement of progressives in the state and in the city of New York City that were really pushing this issue of integration uh, and using baseball as maybe one of the potential battlegrounds for integration. Uh, and um, so Ricky, I won't say was bowing to that pressure, but was certainly influenced by what was happening in the community as well. Uh, but he recognized, I mean, uh, I think that may have been among the factors that pushed him at a time when he actually acted. Uh, but I think for a while he had certainly considered this. And of course, one of the legends uh, of his story was that this was he was influenced very early on in his life, um, having been a, a young baseball team manager uh, with Ohio Wesleyan and having encountered a black player right. uh, in, in his college days. And, and, and I think that's, and there's a line in... Sorry, there's a, I think there's a line in 42 that references that, that moment, that legend. Yes, he talks, yeah, he talks, uh, he tells, he recounts that story to Jackie after the, uh, the incident where Robinson is, is spiked on the, on the Achilles. Right, um, right. And so, um, and I, it's no reason not to believe that Ricky wasn't influenced by that, but he was a businessman as well. I, I can't say that, obviously, owners certainly saw black money as something that would be a positive, but there were certain teams that were getting black money anyway, uh, because as I noted earlier, uh, these teams were renting stadiums to black baseball teams and already getting the money of black teams and fans. And it is well documented uh, that a team like the New York Yankees were opposed to integration, primarily among the primary reasons was on this ground. So here's, keep, keep this in mind. So the New York Yankees uh, often rented General Yankee Stadium to the Negro Leagues. Uh, the, the New York Black Yankees sometimes played there, but usually they could rent out uh, Yankee Stadium for 14 Negro League doubleheaders wow. uh, maybe once a month uh, for, for um, play. The, the Yankees also owned the Newark Bears minor league team over in Newark who rented the stadium to the Newark Eagles Negro League team. The Yankees also own Blue Stadium here in Kansas City. They own the Kansas City Blues minor league team and rented the stadium to the Kansas City Monarchs. Wow. The Yankees are making money right. every direction. They are not in a hurry to integrate right. baseball. Yeah. And <laughs> in they're on the yeah. last. They're losing, yeah, what, so, three so, tenants <laughs> rent? And they say so. There's a letter from Lee McPhail, their manager, who says this, among other things, in terms of their business model at the time. Mm. Uh, plus all the, the racial um, misunderstanding, for lack of a better word, right. that was happening in terms of or what would be perceived as racial misunderstanding between um, or animus that might come from certain fans or certain other ball players and not wanting to deal with that. So this money there make some of the teams and notably mm. the Yankees 
they'll make them black money already. So um, the influx of fans was, was not going to be a big deal now for the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Maybe so, but it's, it's something to say now. Black people, they like Babe Ruth. They like the Dodgers. They like the Yankees. They like the Red Sox. Right. They, go, they went to those games. Yeah. Uh, in many cases, those stadiums were not segregated. I mean, they would go. It's just that when you had a black team in your community, you know, you had you had those opportunities as well, and you had a sense of pride uh, to go and, and spend your money there as well. It wasn't exclusively for white people to go to Major League Baseball games. So, But certainly, it is true that when Jackie Robinson and those black players got on those teams, black fan attendance shot up. Right. Uh, and people tried to come out to those games, and they and folks had to accommodate them. Uh, and it's, it's a matter of having... Do you really want to turn away uh, true fans uh, because you have some attitude whether black and white should be together? Um, that's something that people had to think about seriously. Right, absolutely. And especially for any... Uh, is obviously a very different time, but if you were if you were somehow able to isolate just a pure baseball fandom, who wouldn't want to go and watch Jackie Robinson? Right, you know what an amazing, amazing talent, amazing. Player. I think those were my favorite moments actually from uh, the Jackie Robinson story movie was watching him play on thirty five millimeter film as opposed to the old highlights, which are cool, they're good, but watching that movie for the first time, watching him actually play baseball, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, really special. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah, and, and and so what's good about that too is that uh you you may have studied the history of that film. Um that's after the the forty nine season and right. he's a little out of shape and uh he just won the M V P and he's at the height of his stardom and Yeah. Uh, I would even say that, you know, he might have been, what's the word they use, that he had a swell head, you know, <laughs> about about himself as a ball player. But, you know, also his, some of his issues of advocacy are starting to come out. And so right. he films that in the off season um, and shows up to spring training, you know, uh, later that February and March, you know, just kind of having tried to hammer out that film. And so, but still, even... Even not in, in top shape, he looks amazing. He does, yeah. One of yeah. Those baseball scenes, you know. So uh, it's it's very interesting. I think that's actually a perfect segue. So um, one thing that I want to also, uh, if, if you could explore for us, is talking about Jackie Robinson, the man and the advocate. I guess sort of separating him, if we can, from you know the legacy and the icon that he's obviously become since then. Um, one thing that, that both of these films portray a little bit is for, well, two things. One integration was seen as an experiment, you know, not necessarily the great experiment. Yeah. And inevitability, you know, that we sort of think of it uh, today, maybe. And also Jackie might've been a little bit hesitant to embrace this sort of larger symbolic role and I think he says in both films, I just want to be a ball player uh, kind of thing. So I guess if you can talk to us a little bit about that, how much did Jackie Robinson, the man, sort of embrace this larger symbolic significance of what he was doing at the time? Did he, did he embrace it? Did he welcome it? Or was he hesitant? Did he embrace it later on? Obviously, he had a, a long life of, of um, activism and advocacy. But in this in this moment, sort of where what was his headspace? And my understanding is that one, the the sense of this being an experiment um, is certainly not, doesn't jive completely with the history because I think uh, a lot of folk 
knew that if black players had the opportunity, uh, that they were going to seize upon it if, if the talent was there, and they all knew that the talent was there, and they could go far with it. Mm-hmm. I think the question was um, knowing the the social structure of the times. Uh, was there going to be a candidate that was going to be strong enough uh, to deal with all of that? It was clearly they could play and they could play well, mm-hmm. and there certainly were perceived to be even better athletes and better at least baseball players than Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. in the Negro leagues um, that may have should have gotten the opportunity sooner, but um, he was able to parlay his gifts and his motivation and his attitude all channeled in the right direction. Yes, he just wanted to be a ball player, but he had a history of of advocacy in many respects, even as a young person. I think after the military, it kind of honed itself. Um, Interesting. And I've referenced the military, and, and it's important to note uh, that he was court-martialed in the military. Right. Um, really? I didn't because know that. Of the situation. So, again, another film for your show is the court-martial Jackie Robinson, which was made for TV film in 1990. Absolutely. Uh, yeah on the old TNT network. Um, Who plays Jackie? Well, Andre Brower plays Jackie in one oh, of his first wow. roles. Okay, one cool. of his first roles. And here's the other, a quick side note, the other kicker is that um, in the Jackie Robinson story, uh, Ruby D plays Rachel Robinson. Right. The wife. And in the court martial film, uh, Ruby D plays his mother, Mally. Oh my goodness. Uh, almost wow. 50 years later. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, that's super that's, cool. One of the great movie trivia points. But you got uh, to imagine um, everybody on set was just picking her brain. What was it yeah. like to to meet and act with Jackie act with Robinson? Jackie Robinson. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So she, I mean, she knew him. And she and and only that she you know uh, certainly knew uh, the real Rachel Robinson and, and the advocate that they both her and Ossie Davis were as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but the court martial. Where and again, he was court-martialed for not moving to the back of a of a civilian bus in Texas, where he was stationed. Oh wow! Uh, and um, so he was. That was a Rosa Parks moment before Rosa Parks. Wow! So and he had a history of of some might say butting up against authority in many instances when he was younger and things like that. But he was all he hated injustice. He hated um, unfairness, and so and he was not afraid to speak his mind, to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. That's the way he always was. The military experience honed that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he and, and also watching the experiences of his brother, Mac, uh, who, again, was an Olympian, but came home to very few job prospects and things like that, and watching someone like Jesse Owens, who kind of went through some of the same things. And so all these things culminated into the moment that when he was asked to do this, and more importantly, asked by Branch Rickey to understand the gravity of the situation by not fighting back, right. which is against his nature, mm-hmm. completely against his nature when he was taunted, to not fight back and to see the bigger picture. That was that was crucial and that was important uh, for the success of the entire enterprise. And he did so um, reluctantly, right. but he did so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he was willing to sacrifice himself, I think, shows that Obviously, he just wanted to be a ball player and not have to worry about those things, but he understood that he had to worry about those things. Right. And he will credit Rachel Robinson as his rock during the entire situation. And without her, he wouldn't have been able to get through much of anything. Uh, even making the movie uh, of, uh, of the Jackie Robinson story 
which he notes in one of his biographies, that it was because well, initially they were apart when he went out to start filming that, and um, he really wanted her to be with him uh, that winter and, and help him practice, and help him just get through all of that stuff. And, and when she came out, that's when, when things started to, to kind of flourish for him. And that was a big year for him mm. uh, in many respects. So as I noted, MVP award, and also his uh, appearing before the House on American Affairs Committee earlier that summer, uh, being voted to the All-Star Game uh, in that same month. But all these things had kind of built up uh, to when he, uh, from 1947 to 1949, excuse me, his stardom is rising. His, his uh, platform is rising right. as a result primarily because of his play initially and his success as a player. And then when the moment comes that he can... Um, uh, be more than a ball player, and he, he does that by speaking out and not taking guff from anyone, but being really a leader of the Dodgers. Absolutely. And uh, obviously the two films kind of cover the same ground and sort of end after just his first season, which is, you know, sadly so incomplete because he had such an amazing full life. You know, you could you could make an entire movie about post-baseball career and yeah. advocacy. Um, I actually have a, a quote from Rachel Robinson that said, in remembering him, I try to de-emphasize him as a ball player and emphasize him as an informal civil rights leader. That's the part that drops out that people forget, um, you know, and, and certainly in the Ken Burns documentary, which is a much more complete picture. We're not doing documentaries on the show, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, it goes on. Maybe, he, maybe when we run out of movies, we'll yeah. cover documentaries. <laughs> Season 39, you know. But, uh, yeah, he, he communicated with presidents, you know, Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson. Uh, he knew Martin Luther King. He marched. He, he always kind of used his fame uh, for a bigger purpose, certainly post, uh, post his amazing baseball career. Indeed. And all these experiences and working with other players and really culminated into what he wanted to do. He saw injustice. He wanted to do something about it. He knew he had a platform to do it, but he also sits in a transition of the activist athlete uh, in terms of how the athlete should be portrayed in society, especially for the African-American athlete. His predecessors, you know, the examples of Jack Johnson, Jesse Owens, Joe Lewis, who was a very important uh, friend of his, but even he did it differently from all of them, and um, was a man of his moment in terms of understanding his celebrity, his fame, and his influence, but also at a critical moment in the country's history where even folks were transitioning away uh, from what they thought he could offer them. Right, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, especially in... in baseball i mean i think that's that's one of the elements that it's hard for maybe modern audiences to kind of understand as much as in the moment but you know it was a time when baseball was the the nation you know unquestionably the nation's pastime in a way it's yeah. maybe not as much today or, or competes with you know football or you know i don't know esports <laughs> video games <laughs> but uh baseball was you know so dominant on the national stage yeah although i would argue that um it's still important Oh yeah! Um, oh, absolutely. Large <laughs> way, and maybe even preaching the choir over here about that. <laughs> well, good. Uh, it's even more important, I think, than even people give credit for. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if we're talking about race issues in particular, it is it is hard to ignore that our modern game uh, for the last uh, decade or so, as far as African American participation, has hovered around between seven and ten percent. 
as far as participation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, culturally speaking, uh, I'd say the African American has as much as in common with our Latino brothers, uh, but that participation is, has been above twenty percent, twenty five percent for for a long time as well. So. Um, there are folks who wring their hands about that. I think as long as young people can see the example of Jackie Robinson, but also uh, enjoy baseball and get the opportunity to parlay that into a great education, yeah. uh, that's all right with me. And I think Robinson would agree, and, and Mrs. Robinson I know would agree, and because that's one of the, the things that he did after his life was to establish the Jackie Robinson Foundation, which really doesn't support baseball players. It supports college scholarships for, for minority students. Right, that's great. Yeah, um, speaking of uh, black players um, in general, let's let's shift conversation, I guess, a little bit to to the uh, the Negro leagues. Um, in terms of before and after Jackie's integration, um, obviously we were talking about them booming. But let's say his first season was there was there a bit of resentment towards Jackie or excitement for Jackie during that first year? Were they you know hailing their brother? Uh, getting to the act finally breaking through or was there like a sense of that should have been me and then even after uh, he broke out in terms of uh, how successful the leagues were did the did the Negro Leagues die out right away or were they able to uh, adapt and survive for a time I know I just asked a lot of words but uh. Uh, I think I could break it down because sure, yeah. uh, I think um, depending on who you ask uh, the, the opinions varied as far as individual players I think collectively though players were happy and uh, excited for Robinson right. in particular. Uh, and it's important, too, to keep in mind that Robinson had, even before baseball, had kind of established himself as a bit of an athletic celebrity. I mean, people knew him from his college heroics in football mm-hmm. and other things. So he was not an unknown commodity, if you will. Like, sure. He just come out of the blue, uh, so to speak. And sure, there were players who probably thought that they could have gotten the opportunity sooner. But having seen Robinson and seen him play baseball, they felt that, oh, this is probably an opportunity for me now, uh, if, right. if I can find myself. Uh, and so that that uh, was inspirational to a lot of players. Uh, it was mixed for Negro League ownership, mm-hmm. uh, in that right. uh, Robinson in particular uh, was, was basically signed without compensation to the Kansas City Monarchs. It wasn't a trade, he just left. And so it, the contract situations in the Negro Leagues were not always airtight, but they became real airtight after that. And so <laughs> you can go find contracts, which were basically copies of the uniform player contracts in Major League Baseball. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and so what the owners did is they pivoted and turned themselves into a minor league system of sorts. Mm. Uh, and they were able to then begin to organize and negotiate for player contracts and, and, and things like that afterwards. And so this is when players like Campanella and Newcomb and, and Larry Doby and others get an opportunity to go to Major League Baseball. And then that happens, as I noted, between 47 and 59, which was the time period where uh, teams begin to integrate baseball. You have close to 120 players moving in that time period, and they're moving between Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, Latin Baseball, Mexican Leagues as well. Uh, a lot of player movement at that time. And then eventually, though, the the, the league teams, the Negro League teams, by oh, the early 1950s, say 1955, you started to see less 
of those players moving, and now you're seeing more players coming direct from, say, their African-American colleges mm-hmm. or just straight from their own towns and, and going straight to minor league baseball. And the Negro Leagues becomes less of that portal or conduit for recruiting players. And then league structures begin to fold by 55, and then by 1960, uh, the leagues uh, go out of business uh, but there may have been individual teams still going as exhibition teams and traveling teams. Uh, but by then, there are a few players who are, are going through the pipeline of the Negro Leagues to get to the major leagues. So uh, a slow, dragging uh, death of sorts, but still one that continually produced a few players of talent even into the early 50s. As I noted, Ernie Banks was among those mm-hmm. who were some of those uh, later players um, with the Kansas City Monarchs, who got a chance to go over to the major leagues. And that was around 1952, 1953. Uh, speaking of right in the 50s, um, it's a good transition. Let's talk, about, let's talk about these two movies. Taken individually and together, how well, Ray, do you think that these movies portray the Jackie Robinson story? How do you feel about them? Well, it's hard to suggest that if uh, the first film, which actually has Jackie in it, was not <laughs> the best portrayal. I mean, it's just awesome that he actually got to do that. Um, I've heard uh, historians and critics pan the movie for its accuracy, and there are some liberties. It was, it's a 1950s film that pushes the story as as part of uh, America's exceptionalism and its uh, apple pie and everything else. Um, and in particular, the uh, the ending uh, with the with the reference to the uh, the Senate uh, testimony that he did, and and which is in some respects a controversial part of his life. Uh, but I liked the film; I found it entertaining, and I thought it was an important uh, introduction to that history. I will say just from a if you want to just be purely historically accurate, obviously the portrayal of the Negro Leagues is very interesting in the film. Mm. Uh, they decided to, to, to call the team the Black Panthers <laughs> instead of the Monarchs, which mm-hmm. is the team that he played for. Uh, but beyond that, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a film of its time, and uh, it's, it's part propaganda, but also something that took advantage of a rising star and uh, that is why uh, I believe it was popular in its time as well. Right. Do you know how much because I kept thinking as the movie went on like this can't be completely accurate then I would think oh that's Jackie Robinson he was there on set like do you know how much control he had over depicting his life if he would have been like oh that's not the way it was and then did they tell him like well it doesn't matter this is a movie do you know any uh, instances of that? (laughs) Well I think uh, my understanding of reading some Robinson biographies was that he, he kind of went along to some degree and he had some editorial control, but really it was someone like Branch Rickey and, uh, and someone in Rickey's office who was one of the, 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 the uh, promotional person. Oh, interesting. Right now, who really helped guide some aspects of that script uh, from the standpoint of its production in the end. So, but I, I, can't, I can't think of anything specifically that would have Robinson would have been like, oh, we just I'm I'm we're just not going to do that kind of thing, uh, right. or that we that came out of it that he would just completely object to. Um, like I said, they took license with names and things like that, and maybe the sequence of things. But 
situations like the black cat being thrown on the field was something. If it didn't happen to Robinson, it certainly happened to other players. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, uh, those kinds of things did happen, um, and um, and obviously they had the moments of comedy relief. But um, uh, like that one, what's that one character was, with the glasses? The short guy, Shorty. Remember him? He's got yeah, like the, well, the yeah, platform he had shoes. The platform <laughs> shoes. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, the transition of players and. Um, I think, if anything, just understanding what the, the player revolts uh, that might have been from white players with his appearance is very interesting. I mm-hmm. thought uh, I, I thought it was it was pretty blunt in the Jack Robinson story, and it was even more blunt in Forty Two with Leo DeRosa waking up everyone, uh, right? Uh, Banner to uh, to let him know, and the line from that that says, you know, that uh, he's. Robinson's coming, and there's more just like him coming right behind us. So you better get yourself together. <laughs> so, uh, and that was the true point. Yeah, uh, and how'd you feel about 42 as a whole in Chadwick Boseman? Well, I thought it was very good. I thought it hit home. I, again, I've heard critics say that it was a Disneyfication of the story, and I can't say I completely agree with that. Um, I, there was some really intense moments. Yeah, there's some dark stuff in that movie, uh, for sure. Yeah, and um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what they were with folk who criticized it were really looking for, and or maybe they thought that things might have been overly dramatic to some degree. But I I, I thought it was a, a well paced and important film uh, in that regard. Historical accuracy on a couple of things, though, where, where license was taken, the, the situation with DeRocher and uh, right because they they had some conflict uh, later on, right? Leah DeRocher and Jackie. I think I read something about that. They they yeah they had manager player type conflict, sure. uh, and then of course DeRocher ends up going to the Giants. But this is uh, what DeRocher had conflicts with a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, DeRocher was really just a fan. Ultimately, he thought Willie Mays was just the best player he ever saw. Sure. But, again, is the manager after the movie comes out, in the early movie, in 50. So he sees an out-of-shape Robinson come to training camp who's done well, but is he ready to continue on getting older and those kinds of things. So he's Mm -hmm. riding Robinson all the time. Uh, But eventually he leaves his manager as well. Robinson goes through about five managers in that. His playing career, which is something folks don't recall, but uh, but DeRosa, as a person, as far as integration is concerned, appeared to be an advocate of integration, as was portrayed in the film. Yeah. Uh, was someone who was was certainly not opposed to him, was ready to win. Now, again, his suspension was due to gambling and not uh, what was portrayed in Forty Two, which was uh, cavorting with movie actresses. But um, there's that and. Um, and I think uh, there was always some issues in the way that uh, Pitcher Fritz Ostermuller was portrayed uh, from the standpoint of his uh, vitriol towards Robinson. Although right. it did happen, they got into fights, and mm-hmm. uh, that those earlier fights were um, ones that uh, some would say, some of the historians uh, would say, galvanized the Dodgers around Robinson uh, when right. those incidents happened. But I, I like the film, and I think it was important film and I think the timing of the film was good as well and uh, I, I like Bozeman as Robinson uh, and he did well I think um, depending on who you ask Ford as French Ricky I, I think that's the only time that I ever recall Harrison Ford actually <laughs> taking on a persona of someone other than himself Harrison Ford <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? that's so true <laughs> I actually watched an interview with him, I mean, and he said that. He said he read the script, 
and he told the director he wanted to be in it, and the director said, "Well, I want a character actor." And Harrison Ford's like, "No, I don't want to be myself. I want to. I'll actually be. I'll actually act. <laughs> I'll do it." <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Um, uh, I, I I thought just from a you know a presentation standpoint, he was he was spot on, and it was great. I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I saw I love his performance. I saw a that. video of um I think it was it was Branch Ricky on uh What's My Line? Um that old mm-hmm. 50s game show and yeah, that cuz I was curious how accurate it was and yeah, he's pretty much just like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he studied him well. Oh, definitely. Andrew, you told me the other day that Spike Lee was actually thinking about doing a Jackie Robinson biopic i guess a while ago in the 90s in the 90s that would follow him from what did you say from his like ancestors his entire right? life from as a as a child as the um uh, uh grandchild of slaves through his baseball and post baseball career which is a shame that because that sounds amazing um i guess this is two-part well, question okay yeah, go ahead well i can i can tell you more about that because um uh, mr lee i went to an event back then at the university here, Mr. Lee was the speaker. And he, this was after the Malcolm X film. And that's right. where he, 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 and Buck O'Neill, great Buck O'Neill was in the audience with us as well. <laughs> he looked at Buck and said, yeah, I wanted to do a Jackie Robinson film. Um, and, you know, finding the right actor, it was important at the time. He didn't feel like he, he, he could find the lead, uh, that, satisfied him was Denzel Washington as he noted was long in the tooth by this time <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so it never really came together and even the 42 film actually was started by Robert Redford oh, wow uh, I didn't know that it was Redford who initiated this whole thing and ended up with uh, Touchstone and, and, and that crew uh, but Redford was the one that got the ball rolling on this uh, and that was a call <laughs> it was a phone call to the museum was a letter first from Robert Redford to Buck O'Neill, the Canaan Museum, saying, I'm going to send a writer out there to do research on this potential project. And this is maybe like eight years before the film actually came out. And then a phone call came from, from Redford to the museum, and Mr. O'Neill, our chairman then, our, our late director, Don Motley, took the call, and yeah, he said, yeah, I want to send someone out there, I want to do research this project, and maybe we'll get this film going. And, of course, they said yes, and uh, and there was at least, I've met with at least two writers researching the project, and then wow. it went away for a while, and then it popped back up with these folks. Um, well, I think the second writer, they thought of maybe Jamie Foxx would be back, and potentially, this was right after Ray came out. Right. Uh, and and Jamie might have been great, although he's a little older, but uh, Jamie could probably do an imitation of Robinson, which, which folks know Robinson had a very unique voice. Um, very true, yeah. Very high-pitched voice, which I'm sure uh, Fox could have pulled off. But ultimately ended up with uh, Bozeman and uh, uh, and Ford uh, through Thomas Toll and the, and the folks there. Um and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going on, but no, we had a premiere please here. Please keep going. We had a premiere here of the film in Kansas City uh, because one of our one of our patrons uh, is an attorney for the for the for the studio here in Kansas City. Oh, cool! And made a connection to us that when they were premiering the film, they asked if we could do something here. Of course, here in Kansas City is the world headquarters of AMC Theaters. 
So, oh wow! I, we donated one of the multiplexes, and we <laughs> we had a red carpet premiere that included Harrison and Chadwick and uh, Andre Hollins who played wow. uh, uh, Wendell Smith. Right. Uh, and then there was one other actor who was a local actor, and I can't think of his name, but he's also one of the smaller characters who played one of the white ball players uh, and had a, had a big speaking role uh, in the film. Uh, and he lives in town and just was happening. And so he came too. So we had, we had him. We invited the Royals. Um, there were oh. current Royals players, George Brett, uh, fast forward Rick Sutcliffe and all. And Rick Sutcliffe is teaching Harrison Ford how to, how to throw out the first pitch because Harrison asked, I got to throw out the first pitch next week. I don't oh know what I'm doing. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> so Sutcliffe uh. teaches him, you know, how to throw straight and not put any curve in it or something like that. <laughs> Some crazy thing. So, we're all just having fun. It's just that it's sounds like a hell day. of a party. Yeah, it's just a typical day. We, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, you never know who's going to walk through the door here at the museum. And right. So uh, it was, it was a great event. It was, and, wow. and, and they were extremely gracious. I know they were tired. It was a long, long experience for them to be around all those people and things. Mm-hmm. But totally, they, they did it well. Yeah, and they were great with us. So. I wonder who was more excited the the ball players to be around the movie stars or the movie stars to be around the ball players. <laughs> they seem to be equally as excited, yeah. you know, and, and interested in, in the project. So that's amazing. And I guess my f- follow up question to that real quick, if you could, um, if you were to see another, uh, Negro league player biopic, who would you pick as the next, uh, movie? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you know, uh, that there are, there's such great stories out totally. there. Um, and I, and I guess it's not limited to project. one, but... Yeah, I think part of the problem is that these projects are kind of limited to what material is available. Right. Uh, and, you know, guys in my role and historians, they, they like things to be one documentary. They don't trust Hollywood to, right. to do these stories. Uh, which, you know, you just gotta, okay, that's fine, but, you know, well, that's... It's, Hollywood has a different agenda than, say, a documentarian does. Correct. Uh, but having said that, um, I think everyone, I think I, 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 I'd be fair to say that I think that everyone would really like to see Andrew Foster, um, one of the co-founders of the league, to get his story out, if it's possible. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the Negro Leagues, and it has an interesting life history of his own, and... Uh, Dies at a young age. Uh, that's one. Satchel Page's story has been told a couple of different ways for television. And then, of course, the, the next one will probably be Josh Gibson's story, uh, which I often say parallels Charlie Parker's story in music from the standpoint of their mm-hmm. life, the things, their demons, but also the, their arc of life. I mean, they, they lived to died at the same age. Right. Uh, and and it was it was tragic and meteoric um i think most baseball fans would probably say gibson but as a historian i think uh Lou foster's story is that's, probably yeah that sounds yeah. incredible because then you could have obviously be telling his story but then other characters you could have a bunch of different famous players as well and i would oh be, indeed yeah i would be super interested to see that the beginning of the Negro Leagues. That sounds incredible. Yeah, I think we just need more of these stories out there. Yeah. And direct, like, oh man, can you imagine if it was directed by like Ryan Coogler or something? Or Spike Lee, someone, 
someone well, that would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, we'll get on the phone. We'll call Hollywood right now. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just so well, that we can. Yeah, we're here to help if, if there's if there's a need. I read scripts all the time, so uh, we're we're here to help if needed. Amazing. If nothing else, it's only so we can hop on and do a podcast about it. That's right. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> I guess to wrap up on this show, um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Ray, thank you it's so much for, um, for sharing your insight and, and the, the stories. I'm well, glad to do it. Um, I enjoy talking about these films. And, uh, anytime I can uh, uh, spread the word about black baseball history, I'm all for it. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, you're you're like our first actual like <laughs> real certified expert guest. So it's really cool that you said yes. We're completely honored and blown away. Um, but on the show, we like to, at the end, we like to rate uh, the movie. In this case, uh, we're doing the doubleheader two movies. Um, we like to rate it with a baseball analogy because baseball is so analogous with our language nowadays that when people say things are a home run, they don't even think of baseball. It's just a metaphor. So with that being said, if you could rate both of those movies with a baseball metaphor, uh, that would be awesome. Well, very good. Well, I'll say that uh, Jackie Robinson's story for 1950s is a solid leadoff double uh, for its portrayal uh, oh, of the Jackie Robinson story. Um, and I will say that uh, the 42 film uh, with Chadwick Bozeman and Harrison Ford is a solid triple. Uh, sure. Ooh. I guess that the film is, is like Jackie, is dancing off third ready to steal home <laughs> that's that's probably the best rating we've had all season <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um ray also we want to uh give you a chance tell us a little bit about the negro leagues museum how can visitors find more information if they want to attend any sort of events you have throughout the year please tell us a little bit more well, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is located in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, home of the Kansas City Royals. Uh, and folks can certainly come as they're visiting the Royals during the season or any other time uh, to stop by the museum. We're just uh, a few minutes away from the stadium as well, uh, near downtown Kansas City. You can go to our website at www.nlbm.com. Uh, and we're also on Facebook as well. You can follow us there where we also uh, keep track of events here in Kansas City related to the Negro Leagues, but also events around the country and information and stories about Negro Leagues baseball. We welcome folks to come throughout the year. We have a multimedia exhibit here on the history of African Americans in baseball. We share a building with the American Jazz Museum as well. So you can get a lot of cultural fix here in Kansas City. Uh, A little baseball, a little history, a little barbecue. Uh, It makes for a great great experience for visitors. We welcome uh, between 65 and 70,000 visitors annually. So we hope that uh, your listeners will become part of that number. You had me at baseball, but yeah. jazz and barbecue. I'm booking my flight Dang. right now <laughs> on my way. <laughs> well, Ray, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge and your stories. And uh, we look forward to having you back in the future. Yeah, for the Bingalongo. Yeah, glad to do that. I'm an expert on black baseball and television as well. So just let me know. Well, expert's a strong word, but I know a little bit about it. You know, yeah, you definitely. You know, I would say two hundred thousand percent more than us. So, <laughs> you're an expert. <laughs> and uh, uh, I guess I'll sign off by saying good luck uh, to the Cardinals. Except uh, I'm a Dodgers fan. Paul's a Giants fan, yeah, so, so not not that good. Right. You know, uh, uh, okay luck. We're all gonna we'll probably all lose to the Astros anyway. So. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're pretty good, but uh, it should be a good season. I'm ready for it to start. Thanks for having me.
so cool I, I i know i said it at the top but i'll just say it again i could have listened to him for 10 hours <laughs> i know i can't believe he said yes i know he had, a, <laughs> he had some amazing stories and we definitely have that one back i love how how he <laughs> just nonchalantly was like yeah I, I read scripts and i work on i've helped consult on the movie it's like oh my god dude. awesome <laughs> you're so cool please tell us everything you know <laughs> right and we're definitely, like we said in the interview, we're definitely going to have him back for the uh, Bing Along the, the All Stars, which is coming up in season two. Yeah, it's coming up. I'm excited. Neither I don't. Neither of us have watched it, right? I you haven't seen it yet. So uh, let's wrap up talking about the Jackie Robinson story and Forty Two. Paul, what do you yeah. feel about these two films? I, I like both of them. I think the first one as a uh, as which, a f- which one is the, the oh, Jackie sorry, first story? one in chronologically speaking. Yeah, uh-huh. the Jackie Robinson story um, as a film snob, I would say. It filmmaking wise is not uh, the best. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's a pretty straightforward old movie, which is fine. Love old movies. Um, mm-hmm. I think the best part of it is Jackie Robinson literally being in the movie. Absolutely. Um, and we kind of talked about this in the interview, but like watching him play baseball yeah. on thirty five millimeter film as opposed to whatever they were using to film baseball right. games at the time. To see him essentially in like HD play baseball was incredible. Yeah, because I mean that's the you can quibble about his acting, <laughs> you know, and it's in not the good. It's just, it's just not very good. Well, you can you you can quibble about that, but but when he's playing baseball, that's he's not acting. He's he's actually that's true. Yeah, you're actually getting to watch him hit. You're right. getting to watch him dance off the bases the way he that he would that's and true. run yeah. and steal. He Slide. had such a signature run. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Watching him do what he does throughout this movie is just so special and not something that any film, I mean, I guess, you know, documentary footage, but anything else is going to be able to, to recreate no matter how else you feel about that film. Yeah. That is so special of a thing to get to experience for me that that makes it really cool. No. Yeah. That, that was my short review. I think was like Jackie Robinson should play baseball in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause Completely agree. he was, that part was incredible. The Godfather. Um, Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, just just Ocean's a little 11. clip. Just him playing baseball in the yeah, background I mean, or something. All of them improved. <laughs> Overall, the movie, the Jackie Robinson story, I kept watching it thinking, like, oh, is this accurate? I mean, he was there. Um, and then by the end, and we touched about it, that, that we talk, again, talked about it in an interview with Ray, that parts of it definitely dip into propaganda mm-hmm. um especially at the end i was rolling my eyes so hard when it was like and this could only happen in america yeah. and it's like okay well yeah but also the whole fact that he had to break through the color barrier is a, a direct result of america yeah. so i think 42 takes that and definitely tries to get rid of that element for sure mm-hmm. um because i definitely i like 42 as well um i mean if you think about it also just you know, even at the time, the the movie came out again smack dab in the middle of Jackie Robinson's career. Right, a lot of the you know you can't have a scene like you can in Forty Two of another manager, you know, uh, assailing him with racist insults because those guys were all still around. They were all right. still playing in the game. So, you know, the the kind of propaganda machine wasn't going to allow some of that reality to be portrayed. It, right. just, it just wasn't. And it was still. It was what nineteen fifty. Yeah, the Civil Rights Act hadn't happened. Uh, the, the, in terms of civil rights, 1950 when that movie came out, still were pretty non-existent. Yeah. Jackie Robinson was really the only one. So, like, I 
or the the start of it really so like in terms of the yeah the movie i think accurately portrays that time on the surface and beneath it as well mm-hmm. um in terms of the uh the rose-colored glasses aspect yeah. of it uh well what do you think of the jackie robinson story i i think i kind of summed it up with that i mean it's sure. you know i I would on the whole agree with you. I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I sort of, I agree maybe, you know, and, and like Ray said, you know, the historical accuracy sure could be debated, but right. Right. Um, just the, I think the fact that it exists, the fact that it, it came out at the time that it did and just getting to watch Jackie Robinson for it's all this true. time, it's kind of all worth it for is, that is amazing. I mean, there are even, you know, we were talking about his acting. There are even some scenes where he doesn't have to, act as much he's more kind of reacting i wrote i wrote down two things one is the scene where branch ricky is telling him this is what you're going to face you're going to face people calling you this and calling you that and they're going to be hurling these insults at you all the time and he's sitting there and watching his face i mean you 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 imagine what is going through his head of we just did this and he must have been thinking about i mean it was it was was three years old three or four years old yeah so he must have been wounds were still fresh yeah, just reflecting on that and what he actually had gone through, you know, in in the years since that actually happened between that conversation was in maybe 46 mm-hmm. and then the movie came out in 1950. So whenever they filmed it yeah. in the off season. Um, and the other scene is um, it's the, it's towards the end of the movie. There's a whole montage of kind of all the racist insults that he has right, to endure yeah. once he's finally in the major leagues. And there's some terrible stuff. There's someone puts a black cat on the field yeah. that he goes and he scoops up and, um, you know, they, they get out a shine thing. And it, it's just the, the, the way that it's filmed is you sort of see all these little incidents and they're kind of blurred over him sitting in the dugout, just kind of taking it. Right. And right. those two things, because he doesn't have to act, he just has to kind of ex- react, I guess. True. I was profoundly moved. Yeah, by, oh yeah, sure. By by both of those, and and uh, I think those are the two instances for me where he kind of loses a sense of oh, I got to hit my mark and say my lines and right and things like that. And then you put that with again all the baseball stuff where he's not acting; he's playing right. baseball. I just think it's a special movie to get to witness that. I think if it wasn't Jackie Robinson in that movie. I don't think I would care like at all, really. I mean, I would, but I think the, the fact that he's in it, playing himself, it becomes this amazing like time capsule thing where absolutely where where it's like this this uh, piece of history that we that is not far removed from the story they're telling time wise, and they're telling it, and we get to see their version of it like that's distorted that also tells us stuff, but it's not distorted at the same time. It's it's a really cool piece of history. Well, so how about forty two? What do you think? 42 I enjoy. Um, I think the movie works best when it's not trying to be overly dramatic or, uh, I guess, cheesy uh, is probably not. There's probably a better term for that, but I like it. Um, I want it to be so much better, I guess, is my biggest feeling. It's not a bad movie by any means. I think, again, like when it is working, when it is clicking, it, it does, but... There are times when I feel like it dips a little bit into very cliched stuff. I think the baseball in the movie is great. Mm-hmm. I think all the the way that the way the baseball filmed in that that is filmed in that movie is really really good. What do you think about it? I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I I like I, I I can definitely see the same things that that you bring up. I again I think it's similar to the Jackie Robinson story. I don't think it kind of affected my viewing experience as sure. much. 
I think on the whole, though, since this is the doubleheader and we're kind of talking about these in tandem with each other, I think for me, this, I mean, this is the, I think this is the most amazing. This is like if you had to single out one story in the history of baseball, which is impossible to do. Um, But if you had to do that, this is the one. This is the main story of baseball. Yeah. Um, And I say that for two reasons. Almost the beginning of civil rights in general. Yeah. Well, I think this, I mean, we, we talk a lot about on the show about, you know, baseball is a metaphor for America. And yeah. I'm thinking of, um, you know, the field of dreams speech of America's rolled by like an army of steamrollers and a chalkboard has been erased and, mm-hmm. you know, rewritten again. And baseball has been there through all of it. You know, that's all true. And go watch field of dreams. Cause it's so good. <laughs> but you know, the Jackie Robinson story, the actual story, not the movie, right. but the Jackie Robinson story is two things. It's the American dream yep. of if you work hard, you can accomplish anything. And it's racism. It's you yeah. know, how are you supposed to the two are very intertwined. deal with this thing, which is such a part of American identity and history. Yeah. And so I think of all the stories in all of baseball, this one is – there's – more to explore and it's more complex and it's more interesting and it's more emotionally moving yeah. than any other story in old baseball. Yeah. If I had, yeah, I've got to pick one, this is it. So for me, I guess that's beautiful and amazing, but he had such an amazing full and complete life right? Yeah. that, I mean, like, like we said 10 times on the show, you could do the, I could watch like a 10 hour movie. Of Jackie oh, yeah. Robinson. I, I almost would have preferred like HBO to make like a series. That'd be amazing. Just about Chronicling his, his life. You life, know, yeah. his grandparents were slaves. He was the uh, child of sharecroppers mm-hmm. and he lived through the depression. Right. You know, um, his, his uh, uh, career as an athlete, he could have been a superstar in any sport that yeah. he touched. Tennis, and, as, as Ray told us. Yeah, right. I mean, his, uh, his brother was kind of the the Jackie Robinson story that didn't work out. I mean, yeah. he was he was an Olympian. He came in second only to Jesse Owens yeah. and then didn't get, you know, didn't enjoy any kind of career after that, uh, you know, of significance or 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 birthed from that fame. He mm-hmm. was a street sweeper right. when he got back because no one wanted to give a black man a job. I yeah. mean, it's it's amazing. It's outrageous. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's terrible. And so, you know, and then of course you know, he became friends with Martin Luther King. He communicated with presidents. Yeah, his post-athlete life of being a, a civil rights leader and activist is is amazing. I know, and it's not even touched on in, mm-hmm. in these movies. So yeah, I think, not really. So I think I don't know. For me, it's 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 weird because it's so you know, it's not Bull Durham or Field of Dreams or something that we can just take on its own. You have to kind of take it in the context, context of yeah. Jackie Robinson's entire life. It's true, and unless you're going to have a 10 hour HBO thing, there's no way that it can be completely fulfilling. So, you know, I think watch, we we did a whole deep dive of, of research for this show. Um, I watched both of these movies and the Ken Burns thing. You watched the whole thing. I'm almost done. I have like half an hour left. And for folks at home that Ken Burns 2016, I think it came out. Yeah. He he did did a four hour, two part documentary. Yeah. Very simil- just on Jackie Robinson. Very similar to, to his baseball documentary, but right. it's just on the entire life of Jackie Robinson. And then, of course, you also take into account, you know, the the baseball documentary, the Ken Burns documentary, tells the story of Jackie Robinson over like two or three yeah. episodes even. So it's like you got to take those three hours plus 
you know, three or four more talking about the Negro Leagues and the entire history of the Negro Leagues, plus the Jackie Robinson standalone doc, plus yeah. these two movies, then you start to kind of get a sense of like, okay, yeah, that's that's fulfilling. That's, yeah, it's that true. Does it, all of these. So you like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it was pretty good. I think 42, my favorite part, obviously, the, I think the baseball's well shot. It, The historical significance of it, is Branch Rickey's great. Um, Jackie's great. I think Chadwick Boseman does a great job. Um, I really liked um, the fact that they make uh, his wife, Rachel, Rachel yeah, Robinson, I think her name, an actual real character. And Raymond talked about that in both of them. Mm-hmm. Raymond talked about that. She was so important to him yeah. and such a bedrock for him having the strength to face and adore what he did. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, thrilled that she's included in both of these movies yeah. in, in the, the first significance w- that she is yeah in jackie in the jackie robinson story she's less of a three-dimensional character there aren't too many to be honest three-dimensional wise jackie's probably one of the only ones yeah. um but in 42 i'd say she's like a full-blown real character that i actually like ended up caring about um mm-hmm. which is great because evidently like you just said and ray said super important to jackie's real life yeah but there i mean there is so much that you could oh yeah go to explore you know for the subject i again we're we're not going to do documentaries on this show kind of for the same reason of what we're talking about with this show is you know what's the, what's the fun inside baseball of yeah. just showing the baseball directly <laughs> Uh, you know, this yeah, being, we could just post a link to the documentary. Yeah, uh, it's the, the movie exists. Yeah. Go watch it. <laughs> um, but I would say to everybody, go and check out you know some of these other supplementary documentary materials on Jackie Robinson and definitely um, watch forty two. Watch both of them. Watch both yeah. of them. Watch both of them and the the Ken Burns PBS and that. I think all three together yeah. is a better experience than any one kind of on their own. I would agree with you that. I would totally agree with that. I think I wouldn't mind another Jackie Robinson movie. I wouldn't mind 10 more. Like, I also Robinson wouldn't mind movies. if it was directed by not a white guy. I, I think that would <laughs> so be So there's great. that too. fabulous. Yeah. Like even like, what was that? 2013. That still, I guess was it where it's like, yeah, that's fine. But now we're finally coming around to the idea of like, Oh, maybe, maybe it should be a, a black person that directs a movie about a black guy's experience. <laughs> what a thought. What a crazy idea. Well, so Paul, let's rate these movies. Let's do it. Uh, by baseball terms. We had some pretty good, pretty good ratings from Ray already, but yeah, yeah. you have to describe your experience. What do you think? <sighs> okay. Jackie Robinson's story. I would give, <laughs> I think I would give it a, cause there's that moment when he makes that, I think he does like a spin around move to, to get the out at first when he's playing second. Mm-hmm. And it was so reminiscent of what we see nowadays in terms of like athleticism and um, sport. Like it immediately I was like, Oh my God, he's so good at baseball. Like, <laughs> like, do that cool spin move. I would rate it that I would rate it, it was a cool defensive spin move um, to get the double play. All right. Um, which is, I think maybe our first defensive uh, <laughs> rating. Yeah. Look at that. Because again, I think the best part of, that movie was watching Jackie play baseball. Yeah. And then you wanted to do yours? I've got the same one for both actually. Oh really? Okay. You should do your second one. Dang. Pressure. Um, and then 42, I'd give it a 41 out of 42. (laughs) What do you think? What do you think about that? That's a bad joke. Gonna cut it. Um, I would give 42 probably like a strong double. Yeah. Probably like a double off, off the wall to the gap, stand up double. Nice. Yeah, yeah, no solid. fun creativeness with that one. I mean, it's a, I think that sums up. It's a really good movie. It's a good movie. It's a good and, movie. and I think the baseball in it 
again shot very well it, chadwick does a great job i cried mm-hmm. it's hard not i think it's impossible not to cry during that one scene where he just loses it in the yeah, hallway in the tunnel and they branch and him hug who knows if that's accurate but i mean the sentiment is so i think so i think accurately portrayed anyway so that's what i read because i looked into that a little bit um, yeah we're not going to do a big full in-depth you know inside baseball in the show i think the Doc, the the conversation with Ray was so fulfilling and enriching, but yeah. to get some to get some really nerdy credit points here at the end, the pitcher and Jackie have both attested that that didn't happen at that time exactly like that in that game. Interesting, but it was the Philadelphia game, right? Right, but the director felt that there was absolutely no way that Jackie wouldn't have in private probably many times oh yeah you know, had to reflect and crack a little bit under yeah. that pressure and have some kind of release so that when he was out on the field he wouldn't do that which was a, whole, a part of the whole yeah you know um uh setup i guess of you can't fight back right kind of thing. For, so, if you haven't seen the movie <laughs> there's a, basically he's getting hurled racist insults and he he i think he pops up for the second time and he goes back under into the clubhouse and just unleashes a bat onto the wall. And it's a yeah. very dramatic scene. And Branch Ricky comes out. It kind of breaks down. And, yeah. and Branch comes out to console him, but also remind him, remember the deal. Like, this will right. only work if you don't fight back. Right. Oh, God, wow. What he must have gone through. I can't that. even imagine. <laughs> but okay, go ahead and let's hear your ratings. Cool. Well, so I think for both of these movies, I kind of have the same rating, which is um, for me... These movies are seeing a former ace come okay. out and go, let's say, like five innings and give up like three or four runs. Like, it's not the best performance okay. on its own. Sure. But just getting to see it is special. You know, Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, okay. just getting to see, like, right. like, if you go and you see Kershaw or Bumgarner or whoever yeah. have a bad day, yeah. it's still cool that you got to go and see them. Like, you right, know, right. they're still special than seeing any old pitcher pitch. Right you know, a decent game. Sure. Um, that's what it feels like for me is like, yes, both movies could be better in, in a lot of areas and both of them feel a little bit incomplete, but because you're getting to experience this amazing special story and this amazing special player, yeah, it's coming in at a higher level from yeah. the get go. than I think, you know, I'd say most baseball stories or movies. Yeah, I agree. That's good. That's good rating. Look at that. That's kind of defensive too. Pitching. Amazing. Um, I just realized my second one for 42, I kind of stole from Ray. He also, I think he rated Jackie Robinson a double. Look at that. <sighs> he's got to steal from the greats, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to copy anybody, he's literally an expert. It's true. <laughs> you can do worse. <laughs> uh, well, to our audience, if you guys are interested, go check out both of these movies. Yeah. Uh, the Jackie Robinson story is available on Stars. You can also rent it on Amazon Prime, iTunes. Oh, it's on Stars, really? It's on Stars, mm. yeah. You can also rent it on Amazon Prime, iTunes, YouTube, or Google Play. I rented it. Same thing with 42. It's available on Netflix, or you can rent it on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all of that. Yeah. We did it. I think we did it. Double header. Dang. Look two, at that. Two movies in one. Whew. Uh, next week. You want to tease what's up next, Paul? Yeah, I guess. Let's do it. Ne- <laughs> next week, we're watching Ed. We're watching Ed. Spoiler you, alert. Are you excited uh, it's about bad. it? It's <laughs> <laughs> That's a yes. <laughs> yeah, very excited. Um, again, we record these out of order like idiots. So um, it's, uh, yeah, why, it's it's a doozy. It's a doozy of an episode. It's a movie that exists. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, thank you, everybody, so much. Yeah, thanks for listening. And that's the game. That's pretty good. That's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. If you're just tuning in, first of all, why'd you miss this entire show? Yeah. Second of all, 
every week we try and figure out what the hell we're going to do to sign off. Please tell us. Write us an email. Yeah. Um, Tweet out. Letter, us. whatever you need to get the message across. Yeah, let us know so that for season two. We can have a we'll fucking it, cool guess. saying. That's all I want. Well. Till next time. Till next time. <laughs> till next time. Go watch these movies. Yeah, please. We'll catch you next time. And go to the Negro Leagues Museum in, in Kansas City. Yes, absolutely. Plan a trip there. They have a lot of exciting events. We want to keep these podcasts a little bit evergreen because we don't want to you know, uh, promote something that you're going to miss if you're hearing this later. That's going to be the forever. But yeah, definitely go on the website. Go to the museum. Check it out. Attend some events. They're fantastic. Tell Ray we said hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.